What's up, peeps? My name's Jeff, and you're listening to Jeffrey Laxman, the podcast where you Brits get to learn about the commotions of Zimbabwe. Yes, that is in Africa. No, it's not South Africa. And for the Zimbos listening, you guys get a taste of England life, where, believe it or not, everything actually works here. Join me as I navigate life as a homo, sapien, because I'm not gay. You're all gay. Lol. Yo, 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 what is up, peeps? I'm your host, Jeff, and this is another episode of the Jeffrey Laxman podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we have a very special episode today, as it is my 10th episode and the first time I've ever had a guest on the podcast. So, without further ado, I'm going to introduce the guest. It is. Are no, you losing it? I can, I no, can you're edit. terrible. I can edit it. No, you're terrible. That is not the way you should introduce. It's just so okay, bad. How do you want me to introduce you then? You need to be talking freely. You need to be saying, hi, peeps, or whatever you do. And then you need to say, I've got an exciting guest on with me today. Um, she's, been, she's been in my life. You need, to t- you need to have a slogan you know, to introduce me. You can't just go, this is my mum. <laughs> I was going to say the beast from the east. This is the lady of the manor, the queen of the castle. <laughs> Do you hear the name she gives herself? The pain in my ass, my mother. You know what? That's now your intro. I'm actually just going to keep that in there. <laughs> Welcome, Sally G. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the thanks for the invite to your podcast, Jeff. <laughs> oh. Firstly, I want to say that this is actually the second time I've recorded this episode with her. The first time the audio got a bit messed up. It was the first time I've ever used the microphones before. Brand new mics. Didn't know. had no clue what I was doing. So let's just hope take two actually works and you guys get to hear it. Complete waste of my time. One hour I'll never get back. And he's (laughs) very lucky to have me back on the show. Just saying. One hour for you. I spend about four days straight trying to fix that audio just so I could put that out. I'm a very busy lady. And then decided not to even put it out because it was honestly awful. But yes, she is a busy lady. I'm surprised she's even here doing it twice. So today we're going to be talking about your childhood growing up in Rhodesia and my childhood growing up in Zimbabwe and how different it actually, how times have changed really. So let's start from the beginning. Where were you born? Who were you raised? Okay, well, first off, um, Zimbabwe got independence in 1980. So I only had six years of being in Rhodesia. And, you know, we had some, there was a couple of scary times when I was growing up, but you know, I can just have very vague memories of them, you know, during the the, the independence war. But um yeah, ask away. What do you want to know? Well, yeah, just we'll start off just about the war there. You kind of had, you touched on some scary nights. What kind of nights did you have? Yeah, I just, you know, I was really, really little. So I, ha- I remember nights of my parents and our farm managers sitting out on the veranda all night with weapons waiting because our, our farm guys had come to tell us that that they were coming to attack the farm that night and all the kids were sleeping in one room. Yes. Um, 
it didn't happen, but you know, they never came. No, they never came. But I remember the fear, you know, knowing that something was wrong, even though the parents weren't actually telling us. Yeah. Yeah. Probably best to try and protect you guys. What kind of weapons did you have though? AK 47s. (laughs) Did you actually? (laughs) That's about the only name of a gun I know. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what weapons you had or was it just? No, no, I was too little and it was something that we were pretty protected from. Yeah, I know my I know my mum used to carry a a pistol on her hip because going around the farm on her own. My mum and dad ran the farm, so you know she was on horseback most of the time and used to carry a weapon with her. Blimey, that's scary. I do recall my brother picked it up one day. We were in the snooker room, and he put it down, and then we ended up having a fight. And I picked it up and I pointed at him, and I I got <laughs> I got beaten. I must tell you. <laughs> you pointed an actual gun at your brother. I did. I did. I hope you never told me that. <laughs> yeah, no, not my best moment, but I was only about five. Eesh, okay, so you grew up on a farm. What kind of farm was it? So we grew up on a tomato farm. Um, it was sort of in the middle of nowhere on a power station called um, Amnyati, a uh, very small community. It was probably about 30 Ks from the nearest town, sort of in between Dome and Kwekwe on so, the Amnyati River. So there was literally nothing around you guys. Yeah, there were a lot of farmers. So a small town of, you know, people who worked on the power station, um, a lot of expats, a lot of, a lot of people came across from the UK. Did you have any shops in this little town? Yeah, we did. We had any one. McDonald's or? <laughs> <laughs> no, we had a club. We had the Amnyati club. Mm-hmm. And we had one store, uh, which was run by a Greek family. And, you know, we used to save up our pocket money and go there once a week. And every time we walked in, the old guy that ran the store used to pinch our cheeks and say mashungu. I'm not quite sure what it means in Greece, <laughs> but it was extremely painful. <laughs> um, did your clubhouse or club ever have, did it have a name? I know there are quite a few funny ones in Zem, like the House of Pain and Kodoma. Oh, no. And- <laughs> no, well, it might have had, for the adults, it might have had a, a name, but it was just the Amnyati Club. It was really lovely. It had like red polished corridor floors and lovely. the toilet smelt of carbolic <laughs> soap. And- <laughs> but it was, it, was, it was old colonial style. You know, it had a bowls green, tennis courts, massive swimming pool. That's where we as kids played our sport because – our little school that only had two classrooms, you know, we had, I think at that time there was maybe three or four families that went to the school. Oh, so not two classrooms per age group, like two. No, no, no. Two classrooms for the school. The whole school. (laughs) (laughs) We had, we had the headmaster and his wife who were the teachers. Mm -hmm. So his, um, his wife taught grade one to grade four. And the headmaster taught grade five to grade seven. So you had like a five-year-old and a nine-year-old in the same class. <laughs> yeah, but there were probably about two people in each grade. So yeah, fair enough. You individual attention. True, I guess. But but it was it was it was it was amazing. You know, we had everyone in the school had to partake in every sport to make enough people one to play. Sports team. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember I played in the cricket team and. I was always 11th man and never got to bat and cried at every cricket match we ever played in. 
I used to cry because I had to bat. <laughs> I was too scared. Yeah, that was the difference between you and me. <laughs> I like the bowling and the fielding, but not the batting. Yeah. I always hoped I would never got to bat. I think Jeff's scared of everything. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> Growing up in um, a lot of things to be scared of. Yeah, we used to. Oh, it was quite fun actually because we used we lived we lived probably about five k's from the school, so we used to go to we used to go to school on horseback, which was quite amazing. You know, not really? anyone not everyone gets to say, you know, they went to school on their horse and then. The grooms would come back at lunchtime and pick us up and take us back to the farm, you know, ride with us back to the farm. And then we'd go back in the afternoon for sport. You know, it was it was an amazing childhood and really? something so, that people would never have now. So what would the horses do all day? Were they would you have like a little place to keep them or No, the grooms would take them back to the farm. They would just lead them back and, and then, then what bring them back at and lunchtime. And then bring them back at lunchtime <laughs> to collect us. Nice. Did you just did the grooms have their own horses as well, yeah. or did you just walk? Yeah, no. The grooms, the, all the grooms, could ride as well. Okay, so it wasn't like they would just walk you back and. No, of course not. <laughs> okay, no, that's quite. That's pretty cool. You used to go to school every day on on your horses. Did you each as kids all have your own horse, or did you have to share? Or no, we all had our own horses. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, how many horses did you have? <laughs> we had one each plus some. Plus some. <laughs> How many horses did Gogo have? I think at any one time, the most horses we ever had, and this sort of goes up right up until we were in our 20s because Kim and I eventually ran a riding school. So mm. I think at any one time, we would have it like 10 to 15 horses. Blimey. You couldn't have that now. In England, you can't have that. Imagine how much it would cost to have 15 horses. Yeah, no, very privileged, actually. God, people who have two are minted. Yeah, I know. I know it's very difficult in in the UK, but you know, in Zim growing up, we had to, you know, we had two grooms at least. Mm. You know, we would call for the horses on a Sunday afternoon and they'd bring them down to the house all stabled up ready for us <laughs> to go out for our afternoon hack. <laughs> nice. Isn't it crazy how back in the day everyone had horses and only the rich had cars. And now everyone has a car and only the rich have horses. Yeah, I never thought of it like that actually. Like how like mass production just changes everything. Yeah. And like efficiency, speed, how it has to be. No. That's true. That's true. I think I I think I prefer going to school on a horse actually. Yeah, but imagine now going to let's say you wanted to pop into London. You're not gonna go on your horse. <laughs> well, wouldn't you have loved to have lived in the days where you did? Yeah, no, actually. You know? Uh, been fun. Did you ever go camping with your horses? Like go for a Oh yeah. No, yeah. and we used to go down, you know, onto the bank of the river. We had awesome sandy beaches and we would just, you know, go down bareback and ride in the river. Nice. You know, it was it was it was a really nice lifestyle on on horses because it gave us freedom, you know. We we had you wanted to go somewhere, you just jumped on your horse and went. Yeah, not on your pet zebra. <laughs> so, I've told you guys before about Oh, I haven't actually told you, I don't think. I think I've teased it in an intro episode or something. But Sally actually had a pet zebra as a kid. Go on, tell us about that. Well, we did. We did have a, a zebra. Um, its name was Zulu. I think its mother was killed or injured. And we reared this baby zebra, which is very unusual, by the way. It's not normal to have a pet zebra. <laughs> but fortunately, you know, we lived, you know, our garden was about 
five acres. So, you know, nice. it had the, the freedom the to space, roam. Yeah. Wow. Well. But yeah, it was friendly, you know, they very much like horses, except they bite and kick a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a picture for you guys. So I'll be putting it up on the Instagram if you want to go and check that out. But what happened to Zulu? Sadly, had a tragic end. <laughs> Tell us about it. <laughs> no, I'm not going to go into detail about how the zebra died, but you know, and it goes, and I'll talk about that with any wild animal. You know, bringing wild animals into into domesticity is is a problem. You know, and it generally ends in a sticky ending. <laughs> One day we'll get the ending out of her. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> or not. Okay, so tell us about. Your house growing up on the farm and paint a picture for us. Okay. So, I mean, very privileged. The house was um, spread over the five acres with amazing gardens, just all lawned and, you know, fish ponds and mm. three, three gardeners who all they did was mow lawns. So they'd get to the end of the week and they'd finished and start again. <laughs> so, I mean, it was very beautiful right on the river. The views were unbelievable. The monkeys used oh, to run across best. the front of the garden. You know, it was very wild. Um, we had canoes. Us kids just used to go on the river whenever we wanted to. Nice. No such thing as health and safety back then. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tell us about the start of the house to what it became. Yeah, so it started off, I think, with my folks. You know, they when they got married, they... They found the spot on the river that they wanted to build, and they started off with one rondavel. So, what is a rondavel for the people who don't know? A rondavel is a round. It's like a round hut with a thatched roof, and it's sort of standard for for African houses. Okay, so you guys all take the piss out of me for coming from living in the sticks because I lived in a town called Jugutu where there wasn't much, but we still had shops. She literally lived in a mud hut made out of sticks and mud. That was her house. One room. What did you say? The floor well, it wasn't, wasn't my one room because by the time I was born, you know, that the house had grown. Mm -hmm. You know, my folks started off with one room and the floor was made out of cow dung, you know, and, and if you pat compact cow dung enough and you can polish it and it shines, it's amazing. I still don't understand. So when we recorded this first, you said you they polished it with water. How do you polish poo with water? Because they to would, make it shiny. Because they would use they would use cow dung and clay, and then you would add water, and then you would flatten it like you would with cement. Once it dried, if you add a little bit of water, if you think about it with clay, when you add a little bit of water to it, it becomes shiny. Okay, yeah, yeah. And true. if you continue to add water and polish, you eventually get a shiny floor. Made out of poo. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't smell of poo. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, continue with the growth of the house. Yeah, so that first rondavel actually remained. They never knocked it down. They kept it as a eventually as a guest room. Had its, it had a toilet um, on the outside. So the whole house was spread out, by the way. It was probably about 20 or 30 meters between each building. So the house wasn't joined at all. It was no. literally loads of separate buildings. There, there was only, the only joined bedrooms was when they decided to build after the first rondavel. They built a central sort of living space, which was two bedrooms because Kim was born. Mm. So they 
they built two bedrooms together with a bathroom. And then on the front of it, a big veranda. That was their living space. That was how they started when Kim was born. So that basically became every time they had a kid, that would now be the baby's room and their room. And then they would just yeah, and, get and out to that's, there. That's exactly how it was. And then they would build more rondavels. So Graham was born and then Graham got his own rondavel. <laughs> that's and, really cool. <laughs> and then they and then I was born. So the folks then built themselves their own bedroom and bathroom away from where now Kim was moved into their bedroom and I was in the room next to him so that I was next to Kim, so I wasn't on my own as a, as a Lizzie. <laughs> and then Lindsay was born and Lindsay moved in with me. So Nice. So I, here I am at 23, still like half living with my mom and dad. And you moved out at three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wanted to be a bunny. I was too scared to do that. <laughs> and- Surely you were scared most nights. No, we were never scared. That's what I could never understand why you were always scared. I mean, I, I don't ever remember being scared as a child. You know, the only time we were scared is so sort of between the family went on to build a big entertainment space away from the bedrooms because my parents were big entertainers and well, not so much my parents, my dad <laughs> was a big entertainer. So the entertainment space was built quite away from mm, the bedrooms, yeah. but it was separated by what we called a water furrow, which used to take the water from the river up to the farm. And so they put a gate in between the two and they put a fence in because of course, when we were babies, we had this massive swimming pool and there was no way my parents were going to have a pool fence. So what they did was they separated the garden. With like a river type thing. Well, what it was fenced and mm. had this water canal that, that ran through as well. Mm. So we would be locked on that side and only my mother had the key so that we couldn't get in and drown in the swimming pool while they were out at work. Wow, that's that's crazy. Yeah, so on that little gate between the bedrooms and the entertainment area was like a, a weeping willow that used to hang over and it was really dark through that passageway. Oh, no, I couldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the folks would be sitting in the snooker room in the evenings by the fire and then we'll get to sort of eight o'clock and they'd say, right, kids, bed. <laughs> now you're this tiny you little thing. And Graham always ran ahead, hid behind the hedge. And jumped out. Obviously, yeah. Every night. So it was the scariest thing, even though he was there. We knew he was there. But he used to shit himself even more because he was scared. He was like you, actually. <laughs> God, yeah, I used to be scared just being at our house in Zem. There was one wall between our room and your room. The doors are right next to each other. I, I still couldn't sleep. I was so scared. Someone was going to come steal me. I think that was my biggest fear as a kid was being kidnapped and I would never see you guys again. Just keep me up for hours at night. Jeffrey, who do you think would want to steal you, honey? I don't know. I just didn't want to. And I was just scared. Even with the massive dad built that welded steel gate in the passageway, stop people from coming in and yeah, out. Yeah, I know. You would, you would call that a rape gate, actually. Oh my God, a rape gate. Well, that's what it was called. You know, it was, it was a standard thing and that's what people called them. And it was basically, so if someone broke into your house, you weren't suddenly woken to have someone in your bedroom. You know, they would not be able to get to you. They could steal whatever they wanted from the house, but couldn't get into the bedroom section. Okay. I know that's pretty smart, but our windows never had 
Well, the windows had burglar bars, right? But the massive pane in the middle of single pane glass, no protection. And you reckon that they were going to smash that glass and steal you through the window? If they did a quick job, they could have easily had me in, out, gone, thrown me over the wall and <laughs> taken me on their way. Oh, okay, Jim. I don't know. I was just Even though obviously we'd all hear it if they smashed the window, but didn't like that it was a single pane of glass protecting me from them. Yeah, so going back, going back to the farm. Mm. So let's talk about learning to drive on the farms because all of our cousins, they all had farms and their parents kind of had these old rundown vehicles that you were allowed access to that you could learn to drive on with the workers. Yeah, so we did. I mean, <laughs> I, think, I, think we all, I think we all learned to drive on the farm. I think I, think I started learning to drive probably about eight or nine. I mean, I think Graham could drive as far as, as long as I knew him, you know, Graham's, really? only, Graham's only four years older than me. Really? So how old was he? Do you think when he learned to drive? Graham was probably driving independently from about 10. Yeah. La, la. And you? Mm, I was never a very good driver, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Did you crash? I just used to pull the gears into whatever it was and put my foot down and hope it went. <laughs> I guess when you have older siblings, you don't tend to be the one that does those sort of things. The older sibling always does the driving or don't really have that need to learn. Or Oh, Kim was a, Kim was a shocker. So she was the oldest. Of course, she learned to drive first. Mm. And she used to go to school in Kwekwe in high school. So when she was 14 or 15, she was supposed to drive across the farms to our neighbor's farms and get a lift with them into Kwekwe to go to Kwekwe High School. Mm-hmm. And they must have, she must have been three quarters of the way through the term, which is probably about two months in. And my Uncle Ian came to the farm and said, I saw Kim driving around Kwekwe. And, and then the folks were like, What? Oh my God. And he was like, yeah, it was definitely Kim. And they called Kim in and they were like, Kim, have you been driving to school? And she was like, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it turns out at 14 or 15, Kim was going to the neighbor's farm, picking up her mates and driving to Kwekwe to high school at 14 or 15 years old. No license. Oh my God. 30 Ks away. It was a different time. <laughs> it was a different time, but I mean, she was a fantastic driver. She was still, she's still an amazing driver now. Yeah, true. I mean, Blimey. she got caught stealing 30 ton of trucks at the farm, you know, going to pick up her mates. She was a rascal. Yeah, but what happened to that 30 ton of truck? Well, the brand new, the brand new truck, I'm not sure what that one, I think it was that 10 ton or something. She, she pranged it. <laughs> Do what? I have no idea, but I just remembered the shouting. I think I was probably hiding under the bed at that stage. Yeah, I bet. She was naughty. But imagine nowadays at 14, 15, just driving around town, no license, just just driving. Just Just living the dream. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I can just imagine. She probably had, you know, some shorts, a shirt, no shoes, you know, probably a cigarette in her hand, actually. Yeah, knowing Kim, (laughs) she probably did. But I mean, the one... (laughs) The one, the one time we were we were driving up to the lands to see the folks. Graham was driving. 
must have been 10 or 12. I'm not sure how old he was at that point. And Ashley and Kelsey, my cousins, and I were sitting in the back of the bucky yeah. the truck. And of course, it was open, open canopies. You know, in those days, you just jumped on the back. No one cared if you were sitting on the back of a truck. It was fine. And halfway down to the lands, we decided that we were going to climb over the tailgate and stand on the tow bar. <laughs> well, <laughs> while Graham is driving, mm-hmm. I climb over, Kelsey climbs over, and Ashley's halfway climbed over, and the tailgate opened. And the three of us ended up on the dirt road, gravel on our bellies, screaming for oh Graham to stop. God. Who, of course, was probably too short to even look out of the rearview mirror to see us. Eventually, he heard the screaming, stopped the car, looked back, and the three of us lying on the, <laughs> on the dirt road on our bellies. Ashley continued to cry for 24 hours that she had brain damage, and we kept trying to tell her that if she thought she had brain damage, she couldn't possibly have it. <laughs> anyway, we never told our folks about oh that God, one. Imagine they found out about that. You know, these are the sort of things that we just never told our folks. Yeah, blimey. Okay, so let's move this from the farm and onto your holidays as a kid. Like, because this sound, honestly, sounds like your life was a holiday. Like the way you lived and the farm, the river, the canoes, the horses, the zebras. the. So what was your holidays even like? Yeah, I mean, listen, the farm was freedom. I mean, the cousins used to be dropped off for the entire holidays. So you can imagine there were 13 of us. You can imagine the fun that was had on that farm. Yeah. Parents had no idea. Yeah, no, that's one thing I really, I'm so happy with now. I think when I was younger... I don't know. I probably loved it, but I was like, oh, so many cousins. And there was like, what, 14, 15 of us. And we used to do everything together. Always used to play. I'm so glad we had that as children because it's just, I say, just made us who we are today about socializing and family, big Christmases. It's just. Yeah. And it's exactly what we try to give to you kids. It was exactly what we had, you know. Yeah. And I mean, we are still, we still have the same relationship with our cousins now at our age that we had back when we were little yeah sure i can't wait till we're old and we have that yeah and awesome. you know it's important that your kids then have the same relationship no 100 percent. so yeah holidays. so holidays <laughs> with kcb who's kcb kcb is my father so <laughs> keith cecil bevis mannix oh blimey <laughs> <laughs> yeah um my father loved the high life, and I'll tell you that, you know, openly. You know, we used to, our holidays were, were not a week away in a caravan park. Our holidays were six weeks away wherever we went, Mommy. you know. And my mom and dad loved the bush. They loved the wildlife. And back in those days, the Zambezi Valley in Chirundu was uninhabited. You know, there was one hotel up in Chirundu. Mm-hmm. There was nothing on the river. So when you went up there and you went camping, you had to take everything because there was nothing. So my father being my father used to send the 30 tonner up with the, with the workers from the farm with all the requirements to go and set up <laughs> camp before we arrived, which I can honestly tell you was ridiculous. It was proper beds, dining room tables, deep freezers, stoves. Oh my God. It was, I mean, we had ran everything on gas up there, gas stoves, gas deep freezers. It was, it was unbelievable, you know, 
we would arrive a week later and this campsite, you know, the grounds had been cleared on the river. The tents were all set up. The beds were made. The table was laid. You can imagine. <laughs> imagine going camping, going glamping. Yeah, that was that was glamping in those days. Not you know? even. You're basically moving house, get everything. So we were, you didn't use generators. It was just yeah. No, we had generators. There were generators for lights, so that nice. you know we had lights. But it was the most unbelievable time. You know, you can imagine back in those days how wild the valley was. Mm. You know, it was it was incredible. We used to we used to bath in the rapids. You know, there was as long as it was running water, you were sort of protected from crocs. Yeah. So they put a pole across the rapids in one section where we camped. And every evening we would all go down and bath in the river, which if you know, as a kid, that was just the most amazing experience. Yeah, I remember a couple of times in Jurindu where we've all swum in the in the river and you know, we've kind of found a bank or like an island somewhere in the middle of Jurindu, close to the side. So there was a little stream between the two pieces of land. And it was just fast flowing water. And we all go with boogie boards, tubes, just go for like 300 meters down this little canal, hop out, run all the way back to the top and just do it for hours. Exactly. And I'll, and I'll just sat and bride and drank and. And that's oh, it. And that's it. exactly, exactly what you did. And I mean, yeah. I mean, I told you the story about the electric bubble with Ngondi. So Ngondi was our <laughs> cook, by the way. Go on. And Ngondi used to come with us, of course, on all these trips and. He would cook the food and the parents would all go on the boats and go fishing all day. And us kids always got left at camp. Mm. And Ngundi would take us down to the river to fish off the bank. Mm -hmm. And I pulled out this beautiful looking barbel. I mean, it was amazing looking. It looked like leopard print on it. Wow. So I called Ngundi to come and take it off. And he was like, no, no, you must hold it. You must learn. <laughs> And of course, <laughs> as I touched this thing, I got this massive electric shock. And it was a, an electric barbell. And I promise you, it gives a kick. It gives you a kick like an electric fence. I must tell you that he was rolling on the floor laughing. It was like, the, I'm sure it was a story he told until the day he died. Oh, God, bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, this this was the sort of thing we had in our childhood, you know, and then we'd be, we'd fish for Vundu in the night, you know, you would put out big lines to catch Vundu, which was a massive barbel. They were as big as a 10-year-old child. Mm. We used to bring them in. That was incredible. You know? I mean, yeah, I remember the tiger tournaments that used to happen in Chirara. And this one chick, she won the, you know, the biggest Vundu. And it was bigger than her. And she, yeah. full adult, like it was huge catfish. It was massive. It is. It's the most, you know, it's unbelievable. They're so prehistoric looking. Mm. But yeah, I mean, where we used to camp on the banks of the river, um, it, my brother has actually got a, a lodge there now in Chirundu in exactly the place where we used to camp. Oh, nice. And when my dad passed away, Graham has taken his ashes to go and put on Bolt Island, which is a, the little island across from where we used to camp as kids. He still hasn't done it, though. He's, we found the Baobab together, but he hasn't done it. He's kept him on the shelf. He said, Dad always wanted a place up in Chirundi to live, and now he's got one. Yeah, true. That's, oh, that's quite sweet. Nice. I don't want to ruin that story, but back to the electric fences. I don't know how we never learned. I think I've been electrocuted about five times. One, either holding it, trying to be cool, 
to uh, told, oh no, if you hold it with the end of a stick, you're not going to get electrocuted. Obviously you did. And then one of the times I was being on the electric fence. <laughs> did you get the feedback? <laughs> it went straight out my willy. And it was like, shh, he's so bad. Probably sterilized you. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if I can't have babies, but yeesh. Straight, it went straight out my pee into my penis and shocked me. Well, of me. course, because it's going to conduct through the, ah. through the liquid. I don't know, it was horrible. I don't know how I was like, nah, this will never happen. Awful. <laughs> um, All right. So I guess we are going to round off the episode here. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. This is the first and definitely not the last time Sally G is going to be appearing on an episode. Mother and son. Mother and son. We could have sung Last Chance to be in a band with me. (laughs) (laughs) I was clearly unrest. That was clearly so lame. (laughs) But yeah, um, thank you for coming on, Mother. I hope you enjoyed and telling your stories. I'm sure everyone else found them really interesting. No, it's a pleasure. You know, lots to talk about. Um, Maybe the next one we'll talk about our girls' trips. Oh, yeah. We'll get the the girls nervous about that one. Oh, yeah. Perfect. All right. Thank you guys for listening. I'm your host, Jeff, and this has been Jeff Relaxman. Thanks for having me. See you all in the next episode. Ciao, ciao. ciao, ciao, Bye. bye. (laughs) Bond. That was not rehearsed, people. Bye-bye.